Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like him. I'm going to invite Terry now, though, to read the scripture from Genesis 32, 24 to 32. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. Then he said to Jacob, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. Jacob, he replied. Your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he answered, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob then named the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, he said, yet my life has been spared. The sun shone on him as he passed by Penuel, limping because of his hip. That is why still today the Israelites don't eat the thigh muscle that is at the hip socket because he struck Jacob's hip socket at the thigh muscle. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thanks, Terry. All right, here we are in Genesis 32. That was a weird place to begin, right? Like, you pick up your Bible, you point to a verse, and you're like, and a guy wrestled with Jacob till the morning. Okay, all right, that's cool. Who's Jacob? Who's this guy? What's going on? I have no idea, right? So we're going to start in there. But, but first I want to ask, like, have you ever been part of or did you grow up in a church culture or church community that discouraged questions, like really discouraged hard questions, or maybe held you to some legalistic standard that you can't find in Scripture. Some standard of, of things like don't smoke and don't drink and don't dance and don't talk to that person and don't go to that part of town and don't go to a movie. I once applied to a college and then later I learned one of their rules was students weren't allowed to go see movies. And I was like, no, 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 no. This is not going to work, right? It was a Christian college. I didn't know just how legalistic it was until I applied and went to visit and was like, oh, I almost went there because it was in Pensacola, Florida. And I was like, this, this is a really beautiful place, but heck no, I'm not going to be part of this um, you, I can't even go, like, if they found secular music in your car, you would get in trouble, right? No, 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 no. Um, a lot of us have been part of those communities. A lot of Christians today or a lot of people who grew up in the church are losing their faith because of those communities. They're walking away, maybe not from Jesus, but from their churches, from their institutions, because they've grown up in places that said, you know what, you, that, you shouldn't be asking that question. That's not an appropriate question for you to ask in church. Or you shouldn't be hanging out with that person or those people because they're going to bring you down and they're going to damage your faith. God doesn't want you in that place with those people doing those things. And he certainly doesn't want you to ask those questions. Well, let me tell you right now, there is no inappropriate question for the church. Right? There's no inappropriate question in this house. If we can't ask the hard questions, if we can't go to the hard places, if we can't do the difficult things, and if we can't walk together, no matter where we're from and what background we're in, we are not being a faithful church of Jesus Christ. We're being a little social club with all of our little rules and exclusions, and that's just not going to do. But that, that, that root of don't ask the hard questions, don't do the hard things, don't go to the hard places, certainly don't bring that problem to me, that root goes way back, and it's, it's rooted in the fact that we have forgotten who we are as the church. We've forgotten who we are as the people of God. 
And that's why we go to Genesis chapter 32 today. And we meet this guy named Jacob who gets his name changed to Israel. And I'm going to give you a little, I'm going to give you a preview of the end here, right? Jacob's name, when it's changed to Israel, Israel means wrestles with God. And Jacob's children, this nation that he becomes the father of, will be known as the children of Israel. It's the name that they will adopt for themselves because they're the people who wrestle with God. And when Jesus comes as the king of Israel and opens it up and says, hey, anybody who wants to be part of this kingdom only has to pledge allegiance to me. We inherit all the promises to Israel, including that name, those who wrestle with God. And if we don't wrestle with God, with all the difficulties and the struggles and the hard things that come with following Jesus and living in this broken world, if we don't bring all of our questions and all of our doubts and everything that is in here and we try to hide stuff from God, we're not being true to who he has called us. So there's no question that's not allowed in this place. There's no doubt that's not allowed in this place. And we'll never discourage you from coming and bringing your whole self to the table, bringing your whole self before God and laying it down bringing your whole self to this place and saying, I want to follow Jesus. And so that's where we begin here. Now, we got to set the stage because this is a weird place. And if you're not familiar with Genesis, you don't know where we are. So we walked through the first 11 chapters of Genesis in the past several weeks, right? We, we looked at the creation and we walked through all the way through the, the Tower of Babel, the founding of the, the Empire of Babylon, now we've skipped way forward. So after that, founding the Empire of Babylon, the story of Abraham begins. Abraham's this dude living in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. And he and his family decide they're going to move to this other land. They're going to move to this other place. And so they start traveling, and they get so far. They get to a place called Haran, and they settle there, Abraham and his dad and his whole family. And then God, who at this point like hasn't interacted with Abraham that we can tell at all, all of a sudden... God speaks to Abram and is like, hey, dude, um, you guys were going to go all the way, and I need you to pick up your family and go all the way to the place you were going to go before. And I'm going to give you that land, and it's going to be the land that belongs to you and all of your descendants. And I'm going to make those descendants outnumber the stars. You're, you're going to be the father of this great, great, great nation, in fact, of many nations. And the land that you were planning to go to already is the place I want you to go and settle and have it as your own. So Abram does that. He goes, he by faith goes, and Abram messes up a lot. I mean, Abram is an incredibly imperfect dude. And then Abram fathers a guy named Isaac, and Isaac is also an incredibly imperfect dude. Like messes up a lot, right? And then Isaac has two sons, twin boys, Esau and Jacob. Esau is born like a second before Jacob. In fact, we're told that when they come out of the womb, Jacob is holding Esau's heel. He's like grabbing to it. So they name Jacob heel grabber. That's what the word Jacob means. I mean, like, you ever struggled to name your child? Like, just pick out the most obvious thing about them when they're born and name them that, right? Like, Jacob was holding Esau's heel, therefore he'll be heel grabber. But it, it turns out that, like, names mean a lot in the Old Testament. They point to a character and a destiny. Like, what you name your child will, like, foretell who they're going to be. And so when Jacob is named heel grabber, it means that he's going he's gonna to try and wrestle with his brother their whole lives. He's going to have power over his brother. Esau is the guy who should have inherited everything Isaac had. But Jacob ends up being the one who inherits everything Isaac had by trickery. Jacob is a trickster. Jacob is a deceiver. 
And this is the guy who, when he's born, God says, hey, he's going to be my dude. And his brother's going to serve him. His older brother's going to serve him. That's backwards. And so Jacob, the trickster, is chosen by God before he can do anything to deserve it. Before he can do anything good at all. God says, Jacob's my man. It's through him that I'm going to raise up my people. And so Jacob's just kind of living his life. He's trying to make his own fortune. He knows he can't do that in his homeland because his older brother lives there. And Esau's kind of mad at Jacob because Jacob tricked their dad into giving him all the inheritance. So Esau's kind of upset about this. Jacob knows he can't live at home because Esau's going to try and kill him. So Jacob escapes. He runs away to their uncle Laban. And he lives with Laban and he works for Laban. And while he's working, Jacob becomes in charge of Laban's flocks, his sheep and his goats and everything, right? And so Jacob strikes his deal. He's a trickster, right? He's a deceiver. And so Jacob strikes his deal with Laban. He's like, you put me in charge of your flocks, and then all the flocks, all the sheep that are born with spots will be mine, and all the pure sheep that you really want will be yours, Laban. And then guess what happens? Like, all of them are born with spots, so Jacob gets all of them. And then he does it again, and he does it again, and he does it again. Jacob falls in love with two of Laban's da- well, one of Laban's daughters, and uh, wants to marry her. And so he says, hey, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll just give me your daughter in marriage. Like, that's, aren't we glad we don't do that anymore? Like, thank God. Women, you have agency. You have freedom. Um, we honor you. We're not going to sell you for sheep, okay? So Jacob makes this deal with Laban, and works for him for seven years, earns his daughter. And on their wedding night, this is a crazy situation. Like, you don't see each other on your wedding day. The the bride wears a veil that, like, totally covers her face. So Rachel, the one that Jacob really loves, has a sister. And so on their wedding night, the sister is there in the bed after they're married. And Jacob's like, "Oh, oh, oh, my gosh. Like, I just married. I didn't marry Rachel. I married Leah. I didn't like Leah. So he works for Laban another seven years to earn Rachel. It's, I mean, really, like, what kind of messed up world is this, right? But this is where Jacob is. Jacob's living in this messed up world. And he's doing this messed up things, and Laban's tricking him, and Jacob's tricking Laban, and they just got this really, I mean, you think your family situation is toxic and dysfunctional? Like, this is like the worst possible family dysfunction, right? It only gets worse when David, the king of Israel, comes back later, and his family's all messed up. Go read First and Second Samuel, okay? You think there's not drama in the Bible? Like, it's all over there, right? So Jacob is there, and he is, he's earning all this stuff, and God is, like, blessing him by making these sheep that he's, that he's herding uh, the ones that Jacob will get to have. They're all born with speckles, or they're all born with spots, or they're all born with stripes, so that they belong to Jacob, depending on whatever the deal is with Laban at the moment. And so Jacob's family grows, and his flocks grow, and his wealth grows, and then finally, there comes a point where Laban's like, I'm not putting up with this anymore. And he comes to Jacob and he's like, all this stuff is mine. It's not yours. You've been working for me. This belongs to me. It's not yours. And God says to Jacob, hey, man, you need to get out of here. Like, you need to go. But Jacob's in this rock, between a rock and a hard place. Because he's living with Laban. And he's living on Laban's farm. And Laban is really angry with him. But if he goes back home, he's got his older brother Esau, who now is like a really wealthy guy with his own tribes and stuff. 
And so if he goes back home, he's got Esau after him. And Jacob's like, I don't know what to do. So God says, just go back home. I promise you, you'll be okay. I promise you, you'll be all right. And so Jacob says, okay, I'm going to go back home. And this is the moment where Jacob begins to become the person that God always saw Jacob being. This is the moment when God speaks to Jacob and says, hey, yo, Jacob, you need to go back home and set up shop back home and be the guy that I want you to be. This is the moment when Jacob is like, oh, wait a minute. Like all this stuff that I have, I didn't earn it. It's not mine. All these things, like they're not because I'm awesome. I didn't get it by the work of my hands. God gave it to me. And he's cared for me here, so I gotta trust that he's gonna care for me there. But that doesn't eliminate the fear. Jacob has slowly been becoming the person God thinks Jacob can be. He's been slowly turning into the man, being crafted into the man that God wants to be the father of his people. There are a lot of us here who are in process. Faithfulness to Jesus, conversion to Christianity, becoming a Christian is not a momentary thing. You did not pray a prayer once and become a Christian. You didn't. I prayed that prayer 45,000 times between the ages of 5 and 18 before I realized this is a process. This is not a moment. There's that moment that my allegiance changes from myself and my world to Jesus. That is a true moment. But the process of becoming a Christian, a little Christ, someone who is like Jesus, someone who lives like God, someone who is who God knows I can be, is a lifelong process. We are always growing. We are always moving. We are always changing. And so when God calls his people, he knows you're not going to be perfect immediately. He called Jacob as an infant, knowing what Jacob would be, knowing what Jacob would do, and knowing it would be decades before Jacob even began to become a hint of who God wanted him to be. Think about that. Think about the quick fix microwave religion so many of us grow up with that say, if you pray this prayer, then God will deliver you from every problem you've ever had tonight and you will be a better and changed person tomorrow. And think about how many times that has not been true. How discouraging it is when we promise quick fixes and instant fixes for all your problems through Jesus and then they don't happen. It's self-defeating. It crushes people. That is a weight and a burden that we were not meant to bear. God is with us in it for the long haul. He is with it and with us through every mistake, every failure, every fault of ourselves, every sin we ever commit. God is right there walking with us because God knows better than us that becoming like Jesus is a process that isn't going to happen momentarily, isn't going to happen instantly. And with Jacob, he was there. God was there with Jacob, molding and moving and shaping and, and directing his steps. And then finally here in Genesis 32, Jacob prays the prayer that makes all the difference. I told you before, conversion doesn't happen through one prayer. It is a lifelong process. But this prayer tells us 
where Jacob is. This prayer tells us that his heart is becoming like God wants him to be. He's becoming the man that God is really calling. And so we read, Jacob says to God, God of my father. This is in verse 9, Genesis 32, 9. Then Jacob said, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, go back to your land and to your family and I will cause you to prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. Indeed, I crossed over the Jordan with my staff and now I have become two camps. Please rescue me from my brother Esau for I am afraid of him. Otherwise, he may come and attack me, the mothers and their children. You've said, I will cause you to prosper, and I will make your offspring like the sand of the sea, too numerous to be counted. You see what Jacob does there? Jacob has now shifted his focus. Jacob has been a remarkably self-centered man. He has been an incredibly self-centered guy. And this prayer is the moment that his heart is beginning to turn. And he looks to God and says, wait a minute, I didn't earn any of this. You gave it to me. You are the source of my flourishing. You're the source of my prosperity. You're the source of every good in my life. I didn't earn it. And now, God, I am afraid. I'm afraid not just for myself, which is what Jacob's prayer would have been before. I'm afraid for the mothers and children in my camp. Jacob has hundreds of people with him. He's got his four wives. He's got his multiple children, 11 sons and multiple daughters. He's got servants with their families. He's got thousands of animals with him. He's got, this is a huge caravan that he's moving. And Jacob's fear is now not for his life, but for theirs. His heart has turned from inward to them, to outward, to looking at the women and children and innocence in his caravan and saying, God, I ask, I, I didn't earn this. You've shown me faithful love through all these years when I didn't deserve it. I couldn't have earned it. And now, Lord, I'm praying that you are true to your promise to protect me. Because remember, God, you made a promise that I would be the father of many nations. You promised that you would preserve me and my people. And so now, God, I'm holding you to it. Jacob is a man divided. He's a man struggling. He's a man already wrestling with God before he ever meets him at night. Jacob is wrestling between his fear and his trust in God. And ain't that where so many of us live? We are always wrestling with our fear and our trust in God. The God who said, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be with you. And yet when we look around us, what we see is a world set against us. Or what we see is a world full of pitfalls and dangers and toils. And we are always battling between our fear and our trust in God. And in that moment, what this prayer promises and what all of Scripture does is say, you know what? You can hold God to his promises. You can take all that doubt. You can take all that fear. You can turn it right to God and you can say, God, you promised me. Please be true to your word. I'm not sure you will be, but please be true to your word. You can call God on his promises. That is so different from the God many of us grew up with, who you don't question, you don't challenge, you just accept. This is so different from the, the pat answers of the people who are like, well, if you're suffering, it's because God, God has a purpose for it. God has a purpose for your suffering. He's got a purpose for your struggle. 
So don't, don't doubt, just trust. If you just trust, God will see you through. And the witness of Scripture is no. You can turn to God and be like, this sucks, God. This is terrible. Why am I here? You promised you'd take care of me, and I don't see that care. God, hold to your promise. Please. God is not offended or turned off by your doubts or your frustrations or your anger or your questions. He is big enough and secure enough to take it. We take things personally because we are insecure people who are afraid we're going to lose everything. God can't lose anything. God is not insecure. He can take every doubt and frustration we throw at him. He can take everything. And the Bible gives us ample permission to look to God and say, my life is hard. My life is horrible. And you promised you'd take care of me. So hold to your promise, God. And that's what Jacob is doing in this prayer. And it's such a wonderful moment because then we get to this place where Jacob is left alone. He sent everybody ahead. And he does this really clever thing where he's like, I'm going to try and appease my brother. I'm going to try and make my brother happy with me. So I'm going to break up all my flocks and I'm going to take some of all these animals and I'm going to give them to Esau. But I'm going to do it in a way that makes it like he's just getting gift after gift. So Esau is coming to meet Jacob. Jacob's already sent runners to ask if, if Esau is going to see him. And Esau's on his way with 400 fighting men. That's what the text says, like an army of 400 people. Right? What does that mean? If you're Jacob, that only means one thing, right? These guys are coming to kill you all. And so Jacob's like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break up my party. So if he comes across one, we only lose half our stuff. And then I'm going to take some of my choicest animals and I'm going to send them ahead in groups, kind of one after another. So as Esau's on his way, he's going to meet one group, and this servant's going to be like, my Lord Esau, here's a gift from Jacob. And then he's going to go a little further, and he's going to meet another group, and the servant's going to say, my Lord Esau, here's a gift from Jacob. And so on, and so on, and so on. So he's trying to butter up Esau. He's trying to, like, make him not mad at him, right? Because Jacob just knows Esau's coming to kill him and his whole family. And so he sends them all ahead. And then Jacob hangs back. They're at this river called the Jabbok, which is more of a stream that goes down and meets with the Jordan River later. But they're at this stream, and it's kind of a dividing line for them. Once he crosses that stream, he's in Esau's territory, and he's going to go meet with him. He's heading into what he thinks is enemy territory. And he's pleading with God to protect him. And he's also come up with these plans of his own to protect himself and his family. And so Jacob sends everybody across the stream. Only he hangs back. He doesn't ford the stream yet. He's waiting. We don't know why. And the scripture never gives us a reason. I read a bunch of like rabbis commentary on this, and they said all kinds of things. They said they left some jugs behind, so Jacob went back to get the jugs because he didn't want to leave anything behind. Or like there was an animal left behind, and so Jacob had to go save it to come on, or whatever. So one said, you know, he stayed back because he needed some more alone time with God before he proceeded on. Whatever the reason Jacob hangs back, it night falls, and there's this guy who just shows up. Like, Jacob's, like, in his bedroll. He's got a little fire or whatever. He goes to sleep, and then all of a sudden, there's some dude who just wants to wrestle him. Like, hey, man. Like, this isn't a back alley in New York, right? This is, like, just on the banks of this river, this guy. <laughs> Can you take me? <laughs> and so they wrestle. And they wrestle, and they wrestle, and they wrestle. All night long, they're wrestling. 
until the guy who's met Jacob is like, man, I can't beat this dude. So he hits his hip somehow and dislocates Jacob's hip. This guy was clearly holding back the whole time. If you can smack somebody and dislocate their hip, right, nobody's going to beat you, right? So this guy's clearly been holding back on his own strength. And he dislocates Jacob's hip when he realizes he can't get him. But he, good old heel grabber grabs the dude's foot. And he's like, no, you're not leaving. Now this other guy, he's got to get out before daybreak. He can't be seen in the daylight. He doesn't want Jacob to know who he really is. And, but Jacob's holding on. And he's not going to let go. That heel grabber has got him. And Jacob says, you can't go until you bless me. And this is the moment that we learn Jacob knows something we don't. Because you can't get a blessing from anybody who's less powerful or less influential than you are. And so we know Jacob, Jacob has an inkling, like, this guy's greater than me. This guy's somebody special. And so I'm not going to let him leave without a blessing. And so the man looks at Jacob and he says, okay, I'll bless you. If it'll let me go, I'll bless you. I'm going to name you Israel because you've struggled with God and with men and you've persevered. I'm going to name you struggles with God. That's what Israel means. Struggles with God. And this is a blessing to Jacob. It's a blessing to Jacob and to all his children because it means you'll be the people who struggle with God and will not fail. No one else can overtake you. If you can struggle with God, then there's not a human power on earth that can strip you of your power or your identity. If you can struggle with God, you've got nothing to fear from anybody or anything else. If you can stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with God, then who's got anything on you? And so the man, who we now know is at the very least an angel of God, but who we think is God himself, blesses Jacob. He says, I'm going to give you a new destiny. Your destiny and your character were named Jacob. Heel grabber, supplanter, trickster, deceiver. That's who you've been. From this point on, Jacob, though, you're the man who struggles with God. You're the man who stands toe-to-toe -to -toe with God. You are my guy. You finally become that man that I've been calling you for decades to become. You finally become that person that I want you to be, who's going to be the, the father of this nation and lead them well. And so Jacob leaves, and he names this place Peniel, which means face of God, because there he met God face to face. Jacob is under no illusions. He knows who he has met. He knows who he has struggled with, and he knows what it means for himself and for his family. And this is the story of our father, Jacob. Because you see, if you're a follower of Jesus today, Jacob is your father just as much as he's the father of a very ethnically Jewish person in the world. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a child of Jacob. You're a child of Israel. You inherit the name Israel. Because when Jesus comes as Messiah, when he comes 
He comes as the king of God's people. His job, his mission wasn't to set up the church as this like separate thing from Israel, this separate thing from God's people. It was to take this nation of Israel that was always bound by geography and bound by the temple and bound by these rules and to blow that up and expand it and say, hey, all of you people who thought you were out, all of you people who thought you weren't worthy to come to the temple, all you people who have been told by the religious system your whole life that you're unworthy and you're not good enough, welcome. All you who are broken and tired and weary and beat up by church hurt and beat up by religious systems and who have been told you can't ask that question and you can't go to those people and you can't spend time with them. All of you people who have been hurt your entire lives by an oppressive religious system, Jesus says, come to me and belong to me and inherit the name Israel. You will be the ones who struggle with God. You will be the ones who live in the tension between living in this sinful, broken world and trying to follow God, trying to follow me, Jesus says, as I've called you to. There's not a question that isn't allowed. There's not a doubt that isn't affirmed in this church because we are the people who wrestle with God. And we recognize that the answers aren't simple and the ways aren't simple. And it's not as easy as following this list of 10 rules that we give you. It's not as easy as following this checklist and making yourself good with God. It is hard. And our relationship with God and with one another is infinitely complex. And so we will wrestle. And we will struggle. And we will figure out, God, what did you mean by that? And God, how do you want me to live? And God, when this situation presents itself, and I don't know what the right thing to do is, what would you have me do? And most importantly, it means, God, when you tell me to go and to cross over the Jabbok into enemy territory, I'm going to go. And I'm going to be afraid, and I'm going to call you on your promise to protect me, but I'm going to go because it's where you want me to go. Even in all of my fear and my doubt, what God wants from us is exactly what he wanted from Jacob, which is simply faithfulness. Faithfulness to be with him and to pursue him no matter what the other things are going on in our lives. What God wants from us, what Jesus wants from us is just to fix our eyes on him. And to say, Jesus, I'm with you. And this is going to be hard. And I'm not always going to get it. And I'm going to be afraid. And I'm going to live in the tension between my fear and what you're calling me to. And Jesus, I'm not going to be exactly who you want me to be. I'm not. I'm still going to mess up. I'm still going to do things that, that are going to be a problem. But I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to be faithful to you. And so I'll wrestle. I'll struggle. Christian, I honor your struggle today. More importantly, Christian... God honors your struggle today, whatever it's been, individually and collectively, whatever your struggle has been, wherever you happen to be in this path toward Jesus, wherever you happen to be in this journey toward becoming like him, whether you're just setting out or you've been on this path for 50 years or 80 years, no matter where you are, God honors your struggle. And he knows that becoming like Jesus is a process. 
And he will never exclude you from his community. He will never cast you out from his family once you have said yes to Jesus, once you have turned your eyes upon him, no matter what your struggle, no matter what your pain. All Jesus wants from us is faithfulness, to keep turning back to him, to keep turning toward him, to keep our eyes on him as much as we can. And when we fail and we fall off that horse, it's not like AA where you got to go back to step one. We jump right back in where we were. Jesus is with us just as he was with Jacob. And though we are all Jacob and Israel, we are all the deceiver and the faithful one. As we walk through this life with this tension, know that Jesus walks with you by your side, never failing, never leaving. And he asks you to call him on his promises, to remind him of the promises that he made to you, to remind him of the cross and the resurrection that secured your place in his family. Never forget who you are in Jesus and never let any question or doubt stand in the way of you coming to him with your whole self and giving it all to him. Let's pray. God, thank you that you not only allow our questions and doubts, but you invite them. Thank you that you invite us to remind you of your promises, to remind you of who we are to you and who you have been to us. Thank you, Lord that you have called us before we could ever do anything to earn your favor. Thank you that you have called us and walked with us even before we knew you. Thank you, God, that you have promised us your Holy Spirit to transform us. And thank you, Lord, that you walk with us through the struggles and you honor our struggle. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have walked in our shoes as our high priest and you know what it is to be one of us and face our temptations and face our struggles and face our difficulties right up to the point of the most unjust death that has ever happened. And thank you, Lord, for conquering death in your resurrection and promising us the same life that you now live. Thank you, God for who you are to us. And I pray, Lord, that we would be your people who struggle with you as we live in the tension between a sinful world and a holy God. Make us faithful to turn back to you every step of the way. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.